You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday morning, April the 24th, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you on the pod. We're going to get into five questions for the Crimson Tide on this Monday morning. But first, we're reminded that we are just absolutely gassing through the month of April. Nothing tells us that more than the rapid approach of the completion to regular seasons for Alabama sports like baseball and softball. Mixed bag for those two clubs on the Diamonds over the weekend. Good news for Brad Bohannon's team in that after that surreal start to the Auburn series about eight or nine days ago, Alabama has since won five straight in SEC play, including a weekend sweep out in Como with the Missouri Tigers. Alton Davis the second with a couple of elongated saves coming out of the Alabama bullpen. Got enough offensively. Jim Jarvis a good weekend for the shortstop, uh, both offensively and defensively. So uh, good stuff for an Alabama baseball team now at 500 in the SEC. And some big series still coming up, as we know. Got LSU coming up this weekend, and then Vanderbilt the following weekend. Alabama stays on the road with a trip to Baton Rouge coming up Friday. It uh, doesn't get any easier. We've said that many times before. Not just for Alabama baseball, but softball as well. A disappointing series loss on the home diamond there at Rhodes Stadium for Patrick Murphy's club over the weekend. Matty Penta, the ace for the Auburn Tigers, got the job done in games two and three. Alabama able to muster just two runs against Penta in those deciding games of the series. Montana Fouts with another strong performance to get the win in game one. She was very good, very solid anyway, uh, again in game three. But the offense, especially with Ashley Prangy out of the lineup, not able to get the job done. Alabama, too, will take on LSU coming up in softball this weekend. That series in Tuscaloosa. And then the Crimson Tide will travel to Oxford to take on Ole Miss the following weekend. And it'll be time. It'll be postseason time once again for a Patrick Murphy team at the University of Alabama. Let's get into five questions for the Crimson Tide on this Monday morning. We'll start with question number five. With the arrival of NFL Draft Week, which will be the bigger surprise? Or which would be the bigger surprise? Bryce Young going number one overall? Or Will Anderson not going in the top five selections of the upcoming draft? Well, Vegas has tried to tell us for a few weeks now that Young is going to be the first Alabama player to go first overall since Harry Gilmer back in 1948. As of last night, Young was the clear favorite at minus 2,000 with C.J. Stroud, the quarterback of Ohio State, next at plus 1,000. All four of the favorites on the board, according to Vegas Insider, were quarterbacks. Young, Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis in that order. And understanding that going with public money can lead to one living in primitive conditions, I still tend to follow the money at this point of the process. 
Then again, Vegas doesn't have Anderson as the favorite to go in one of the top five slots of the draft until the fifth pick, which currently sits with Seattle. Still, it's one thing to entertain the likes of Levis and Richardson in March, and even into early April. It's another, though, once we get a couple weeks into April. Once a team is on the clock, the self-preservation instinct of a front office type usually kicks in. To that, of course, clubs like my Jacksonville Jaguars have been known to say, hold our beer. I'm going to guess, though, any remnants of a contact high the Carolina Panthers might have caught after evaluating other quarterback options during the process has had ample time to wear off. If you're the Panthers, you simply don't trade up to take a flyer. You trade up to take a franchise guy. In terms of the quarterbacks that are available this time around, seems pretty clear that the closest thing to a day one guy in this draft is Bryce Young. With that, I'll be more surprised if Young doesn't go number one than if Anderson falls out of the top five. But only by a smidge. As surprising as Anderson going at six or lower would be, we've got to remember that teams tend to lose their senses when the quarterback position is concerned. And that isn't based on the current order of selections as much as the potential for trades made with quarterback in mind. If the pecking order remains the same as it sits right now, I can't see Anderson dropping below the Seahawks at five, with Arizona at three, an even more likely destination for Will Anderson. Could he go to former UA standout turned head coach D'Amico Ryans and the Texans at two? Maybe, but it's difficult to imagine Houston not taking a quarterback in that spot. Again, much of it depends on how intoxicated teams outside the top five are over the thought of trading up for a signal caller. That certainly could be a possibility, starting with the Texans at number two. Question number four. What is Alabama getting in transfers Aaron Estrada and Latrell Wrightsell Jr.? Well, a four-time transfer who has made stops now at St. Peter's, Oregon, Hofstra, and soon-to-be Alabama Estrada is both a scorer and a facilitator of scoring. First and foremost, if he gets going to the rim on that left hand of his, good luck. And he can do it in transition and in the half court. Play soft defense against this guy in response to his ability to get to the rim, and he can knock down the three. Estrada shot the three at a 37% clip last season and was especially effective off the catch. Not that Nate Oates is a fan of the mid-range game, but Estrada shows a lot of that in his game as well. How his pull-up game marries with what Oates prefers will be fascinating to watch. For a guy who played on the ball a good bit, Estrada didn't shoot a ton of free throws, but he did convert 81% of his attempts from the strike. A lot of sauce meets Europe, and a lot of his native New Jersey is in Estrada's game. It shows up not only in his ability to score, but also how he facilitates scoring. Estrada, from that perspective, handed out 132 assists in his final season with Hofstra, including 28 in his final six games. He has excellent court vision to go along with an ability to deliver accurately as a six foot three guard who can dish over the top of smaller guards. Depending on the plans for Javon Quinterly, could have double New Jersey on the court for Alabama in the upcoming season, or at least a continuation of it in Estrada. Also, based on what Mark Sears does, you could have a pair of capable left-handed scorers, or at a minimum, a continuation of Southpaws in Estrada. Defensively, Hofstra played some zones, so that will be a bit of a switch for Estrada. But it's also an area where his instincts and links show up on tape. 
Shifting to Latrell Wright Sell Jr. Man, you hear that name, and what do you think? Latrell Spreewell, right? Well, he makes his way from Cal State Fullerton, where he was an all-Big West performer for the Titans. He's kind of a right-handed version of Estrada in some ways, although Wright Sell is more of a secondary ball handler than Estrada. Wright Sell is a career 35% shooter from three to this point, although he did finish his time at Fullerton shooting at a 38% clip from deep during the recently completed season. Like Estrada, he excels in the catch-and-shoot game, but he can also get his own shot via step-backs off the dribble. He's not as effective in the mid-range as Estrada, but again, that's not something Nate looks for much anyway. If UA gets one or both back from Sears and Quinterly, it will have some serious age in the backcourt. With Estrada and Wrightsell accustomed to getting up 13 to 15 shots per game at their most recent stops, the trick might very well be in making it all work, especially if Sears and Quinterly both return. That's a problem I'm guessing Nate Oates is fine with. Question number three, is it too early to make a call on the primary players for the defensive backfield in 2023? Even with all of the attrition back there, and understanding there are still some moving pieces to consider, I think we have a good idea of how Nick Saban would like it to play out in his defensive secondary. Where Brian Branch's successor is concerned, Saban said post-scrimmage Saturday that Malachi Moore's presence at star on A-Day had more to do with the departures of Jaquez Robinson and Traquan Fagans than anything else. According to Saban, Earl Little Jr. actually spent most of the spring working with the first group at Star, a tidbit that likely went a long way in Robinson and Fagan's making moves. Little was impressive while working with the Crimson defense on Saturday, with his diving interception of Ty Simpson serving as one of the defensive plays of the day. So if we're to assume that Little will be the guy at Star in the fall, the rest of the secondary begins to clear up. At safety, there's Malachi Moore, Caleb Downs, and Christian Story at the top of the rotation, with that coming from Jake Pope and Brayson Hubbard, a duo that did some nice things in their own right on A-Day. As for corner, Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold are the first guys up, with Little able to provide some support there as well. Piece some things together, and the base combination looks like McKinstry and Arnold at the corners, and the two safeties coming from Moore, Downs, and Story. You shift a nickel, and Little comes on at the star position. As for Dime, as is typically the case, we didn't see it at all on A-Day. It's safe to assume, though, that the money roll will be handled by a safety, with the third safety in the Dime coming on either there or manning one of the safety positions and one of the sitting safeties dropping down to the money. Both Moore and Story have history at the money position, and there's no doubt that Downs could handle the spot as well. So if Alabama were to play today, I'd go with McKinstry, Arnold, Moore, and Downs in every down rolls, with Little and Story coming on in sub-packages. If that's the case, the question I would have is this. Is a roll in the dime going to be enough to keep Story, who is going into his fourth year in the program, fully engaged? Crazy, I know, but in the current climate, it's a consideration that can't be dismissed. With that, the selling point for the third safety is likely this. Even if you aren't one of the top two guys to open the season, an injury and or ineffective play at safety or star could lead to an every down roll. The good news is that with some emerging first and second year options, safety looks to be in good shape for now and really 
it's depth across the secondary that must continue to come on between now and the season. At safety, again, Pope and Hubbard have potential. Meanwhile, what does the future hold for a guy like Devonta Smith, who we didn't see on Saturday? Smith is another utility type, something that, with attrition coming quicker than it did three or four years ago, will become even more important in the coming years. Also, how quickly can Des Ricks, Antonio Kite, and Jalil Hurley come along at the corner position? For that matter, what can the next wave offer in the way of versatility? See, it's not as simple as repping guys up at safety and corner. You have to have depth at the sub roles, too. I know I'm answering a question with more questions, but there's a lot to consider between the different roles demanded by opposing offenses these days. The back end would seem to be fairly well set where primary player options are concerned, but players have more options available to them than ever before. And as Saban recently reminded us, coaches do too. Question number two. What inside linebacker combination makes the most sense right now? Well, with maturity at the forefront of the evaluation process, hard to look away from Trez Marshall and Deontay Lawson. How that would shake out in terms of weak side versus middle linebacker remains to be seen. Given that the spots are somewhat interchangeable, I can envision an either-or scenario at the top of the rotation for Marshall, Lawson, maybe Jihad Campbell, and certainly a few others. In other words, Alabama has more than a couple of guys who should be able to handle play caller duties in addition to playing off the ball. In addition to Marshall and Campbell, there were positives from Justin Jefferson and Kendrick Blackshire in the 8A game on Saturday. Jefferson displayed strong off-the-ball attributes at the JC level, and those showed up at times on A-Day. Meanwhile, Blackshire provides a physical presence between the tackles. I'm not sure he's the guy they want out there at the MAC and the dime, but he'd probably be okay in the base and big nickel looks. UA has quality numbers here coming out of the spring, which again makes one wonder if the portal might come into play for a guy or two at the inside position. In that case, UA would also be impacted on special teams, which draws from this area for coverage and return unit personnel. Not that anyone is going to feel sorry for them, or should for that matter, but this offseason underscores the bind UA coaches find themselves in these days. To recap, you lose developmental options to the portal. You go to the portal in an effort to stay older, due in part to not being able to count on having guys in the program for more than a year or two. And then you potentially lose more guys as a result. The vicious cycle, right? And now question number one. Other than quarterback, coming out of spring drills, what is the biggest concern for this Alabama team? Well, that's kind of like saying, other than breathing, what worries you most about staying alive? Granted, that may be a little bit much. Still, there's no doubt that quarterback is at the top of the list of offensive concerns. Not just because of what we saw from the position in one scrimmage, but probably because Saban told us afterward that what we saw Saturday was pretty much indicative of what he saw from the position throughout the spring. While he didn't totally write off drops by wide receivers on A-Day, he was quick to note that they hadn't been a problem in the 14 practices leading up to the spring game. So while drops would have a place on my list of concerns otherwise, Saban's comments helped ease those. Well, at least until Middle Tennessee, anyway. Here's something else that didn't line up with what we saw and had heard throughout the spring. The offensive plan and play calling during Saturday's scrimmage. In other words, I'd expect the sequency and focus to be a bit different 
once September 2nd rolls around. Not as much 11 personnel and more of a run game and the running back position in general, really. That will be the identity of the offense more than non-play action RPO dropbacks by the quarterback in the passing game, which we saw a good bit of in the A-Day game. On the list of offensive concerns, almost alongside the quarterback position, I'd point to left tackle. I still think Elijah Pritchett has a bright future, but is the future now for a developmental prospect who missed a good bit of time last season while recovering from a pec tear? One thing about spring games, too, there really isn't a plan in place that helps the OL, whether that be in the area of play sequencing and run-pass ratio or, well, protection schemes in general. As I said on Instant Analysis post-scrimmage Saturday, you had to be encouraged by what we saw from newcomers up front. Olasalinen, Miles McVeigh, Caden Proctor, Rock Montgomery, Wilkin Formby. Physically and in terms of technique, those guys are only going to get better from here. And with that thought in mind, I wouldn't be surprised to see some movement along the front where the portal is concerned. Looking specifically at tackle, how that resolves itself will center on how guys like Pritchett, Proctor, and McVeigh come along during the summer months. Of course, there's also the possibility of J.C. Latham flipping over to the left side. Regardless, another offensive tackle is needed to solidify the first five, and that's before depth at tackle is taken into account. As for the defense, it can always use an interior pass rusher. Maybe a healthy Justin Aboigby will provide more of that in 2023. Newcomer James Smith worked some in that role on Saturday and has potential to impact the sub packages. Also, don't forget about a guy like Jamarian Latham. The veteran defensive end wasn't available for spring drills, so we didn't see him on A-Day. There's potential for Jaheim Otis to become a nose-of-the-pocket crusher, too. Still, in terms of returning statistical production, there's not a lot there to go on with this group of linemen. Otherwise, I'd go back to depth at corner as a big concern. Ricks and Hurley can be very good in time. Speaking of Hurley, I like that he showed some competitive character in making that touchdown-saving tackle of Jermaine Burton after giving up the deep ball on Saturday. As it sits right now, time isn't something either of those guys has in the program. And with another season right around the corner, time isn't something secondary coach Traveris Robinson has on his side. So there you go, five questions for the Crimson Tide on a Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you have a great week. We're going to have a lot of coverage for you right there at BamaOnline.com. We didn't even get into football recruiting, which it was a huge weekend for that at the Capstone. Hank South, Tim Watts, full and complete recruiting coverage from 8A. Going to find it all right there at BamaOnline.com. And where you need to hang out first and foremost is right there at the roundtable with us. The premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. That is the roundtable right there at BamaOnline.com as well. Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, and myself from a team perspective going to continue to update you throughout the week, the days and weeks and months to come right there at BamaOnline.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online podcast, we certainly hope you will do so. If you would leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out, and we would tremendously appreciate that as well. Travis Ryer thanking you once again, and until next time, so long, everybody. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.